0: An alcoholic, oh, um, the grace of God, and fellowship of people like you, and sponsorship, I've been sober since February the 4th, 1964, and for that, rather... <laughs> and I thank I want you to know that this is going to be a, uh, a kind of a light and, let's say, sunny look at the traditions, if you will. Because it's a Saturday afternoon, and if I went through the traditions traditionally, by the time I got to six, you would be all asleep. (laughs) Because it's nap time, and it, it isn't that they're boring, but they're dry. And they don't have to be. And and i that's one of the things I want to talk about. But I, I'd really like to talk about it in, from a personal standpoint. I, obviously, I'm an alcoholic. Obviously, I drank bad. Obviously, I had trouble or I wouldn't have sought out AA, for sure. But I was always a weirdo. And I've always been I mean I, I thought that, but turns out I was that. You know, I didn't just think it, it it was confirmed to me that I was strange, you know, different from other people. My father would turn around and he'd stopped in his tracks and he turned around and he looked at me and he said, What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> you know, felt like saying, but wouldn't, because he was a whatever general at the time. He was a lieutenant general. Lieutenant general when he retired, I think. Um, I wanted to say, what the hell's wrong with you? You know, because that's my reaction to everything. Is It's not my fault, it's your fault. It's his fault, it's their fault. The government's fault, whatever. Well, most of us... When we get sober, we are left with this burden of personality. And really, what it comes down to is my ego is not my ego <laughs> because ego is the bottom line of this stuff. This whole these twelve traditions are right over here are, The first one states the problem, basically, and the last one states what we will have if we do the traditions, and the one in between is the way we're supposed to act in order to get there. But bottom line is, we are really arrogant people in a kind of a strange way. Because, you know, if you say, I'm the worst in the world, you, you're egocentric because you're not thinking about the other people in the world. You're thinking about yourself. You're the worst. If you say you're the best in the world, you're also an egocentric because you think you're the best in the world. Well, you add alcoholism on top of that, and you can imagine what Bill and Bob must have thought, what an order. We can't go through with this. <laughs> these egos in a room and they didn't, the traditions were not introduced right away so it was, you know, they took all the problems created by massive ego throughout the country, even the world put them together and came up with the traditions which are supposed to help us act like they look you know what I'm saying? how Normal people look. They look like that. They may not be that way, but that's the way we see to them. And so, what I'm going to do is sort of go through first of all, you, there are certain groups that are, I think, what I would call disciplined, successful groups. And those groups adhere to a certain form of tradition they have their old traditions, and one of them, one of these traditions that goes on in groups like that, is that there is always someone at the door always well, there is always someone at the door of the meeting to greet you there's always always i don't care if it's a five person meeting or if it's a twenty or a 400 like Foxhall or 1200 like Civic Group, there's somebody at the door. And they're saying, Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. And honestly, uh, if it hadn't have been for a greeter, I probably wouldn't be here today. Because I was scared to death when I walked into that room at the Washington Cathedral in 1964. And somebody said, welcome to AA, we're glad you're here. Well, I wasn't glad to be there, but at least somebody was sort of welcoming to me. And so I think having a greeter at the door is a really important thing, for group job, if you will. It was not a job I wanted to do because my sponsor says, you you got to be greeter next month. And I said, I don't want to be a greeter. I don't like people. <laughs> and she said, I don't care whether you like people or not. You're going to be a greeter. And that, was, that was the way I was handled in those days. No, you know, no kid gloves for me. So I became a greeter. And I was standing next to Crazy Frank, Because in those days, we had nicknames for everybody before it became politically incorrect to do all those things. But we didn't know, but we had nicknames for everybody. His was Crazy Frank, and he was like 6'5". He was a painter. And uh, so I said to him, my sponsor said, if you can't think of anything, talk to the guy next to you who's greeting So I turned to Frank. Now, Frank's 6'5", and I'm, you know, 5'2. And he says, I said, So, Frank, it must be nice for you being so tall. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) I wasn't used to conversation. (laughs) Just pass me a drink, I'll converse. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) he looked out at me and said, Why? You know, and I said, Well, you're a painter, aren't you? I said, yes. I said, well, you probably don't have to use a ladder to reach the ceilings. <laughs> and he went just like, <laughs> like that. And all of a sudden, he was not so scary anymore. He wasn't crazy anymore. He and I were the best greeters ever that they'd ever had at this meeting. It's that important. I mean, that's, the, and I didn't want to do it because I didn't like people. But my sponsor made me do it. Now, looking at the traditions, once again, I reference over here, looking at these is like doing this. It's like putting on a new pair of glasses. I'm so glad I remembered these glasses. It's like putting on a new pair of glasses, because you can see things in just a slightly different way. I've got all this junk up here, and I won't even use half of it, but don't worry, it won't take long. (laughs) I love Earl and Flo. Do you ever read the comic strips, Earl and Flo? Do you read comics anymore? (laughs) Nobody reads comics? Well, they're all online, I guess, aren't they? Oh, God, newspapers. We get two newspapers a day. We're making up for people who don't buy newspapers, I guess. <laughs> anyway, Earl is the old, crabby old man. And the reason I started reading it is because he looks like Dick. <laughs> he does. He looks... This, you tell me if he doesn't. I'll show you this. <laughs> and, and so Flo is cooking, and he, Earl comes up and he says, I think Clyde is sore at me for not loaning him my good rake. And so Flo says, why wouldn't you? And Earl says, I just don't like loaning my stuff out. I guess maybe it comes from me being an only child. And Flo turns around to him and says, you weren't an only child. (laughs) You had brothers and sisters. (laughs) And he turns to her and says, yeah. Yeah. But in my mind, I was the only one that mattered. <laughs> that's why we need traditions. <laughs> because what we have when we walk into a room is we have the only one that matters in a room of 300 people. So we have to learn how to sublimate, that's a big word, but it means squash, our egos so that we can get along with other people, so something can happen. It makes, the 12 steps make the 12 traditions possible. I mean, if we didn't, if we didn't, I can't move this shoulder, so don't worry. It's just, I look like a one arm bird or something. But there's the steps and then the, here's the tradition, but they make them possible. They make it possible for us to work or live in the traditions because we've gotten rid of the grosser defects. Now, it only says grosser defects. It does not say all defects by any means. So I started thinking about what are the other things that go into a a well-disciplined and a, a successful group. And by success, I mean people who are staying sober. For example, let's use this room as an example. Uh, just hands only. Um, how many people in here have been sober 20 years or more? Okay, keep your hands up. How many have been sober 10 years or more? How many have been sober 5 years or more? And that is about, how about 1 year? It's pretty much all everybody in the room. So we're, you know, this is a successful gathering of people, because what you really want to have in a successful group is some old-timers who can bedevil you with get my hat, get my coat, you know, bring me a whatever it is. <laughs> Imagine it. We have the old-timers, we have the middle people who make, by the way, the best sponsors because they're on fire. I mean, they will, on fire. They're just, I'm going to give this message to everybody. Come and hear me. Give me this message to everybody. And then we got the new people who... Are uh, the old timers and the middle people fight over the newcomers? <laughs> now that's a successful group. When you and think about the newcomers, they think, "Oh, how special am I? <laughs> I have everybody fighting for me." But that's that's in a successful group. And don't. Go home and tell their group that they're not successful. <laughs> just start infiltrating them <laughs> with a few pigeons seated here and there. You know, just get it together. So we have what we call unwritten customs, if you will, not tradition so much, but get to the meeting early and look for the lonely, scared Person, give uh, your phone number to the new person and get theirs. I mean, to give it is one thing, but they never call. They don't call. I mean, they don't call me. Somebody's. Oh, this is so, so I then oh, hang up. You know, that's about. So get 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 theirs so you can call them. After the speaker, this is so important. Because I'm speaking. (laughs) After the speaker, in a speaker meeting, thank the speaker. (laughs) They have given their best. (laughs) We need to respect that. And Vinoy just did her best. And I haven't heard her in a while, and I just loved it. It was my best for her. And I've sponsored one of her daughters for a while through thick and thin, but I think we're, you know, we're on the right track now. Let's hope so. When we are speaking at the podium, dress up, not down. I personally wear a skirt or a dress when I'm at the podium. If I'm at my home group, the same is true. If it's not your home group, that's up to you. When you walk into a meeting where most people are wearing shirts and maybe a tie and a sport jacket, if you walk in there and you're not, if you have a tie, you know, one of the things that we do in our group is, one of the groups, is that once a year everybody who has extra ties or doesn't want them anymore brings all their ties to the meeting and shirts and and jackets, and they put them up on a table, and anybody can have them. If you don't have one, you can pick one up. And we've got people who are, because of our jail work and institutions work, which is another thing that successful groups do, is to go into jails, take meetings into jails and institutions, they don't have any money, and they don't have clothes like that, but they can go. And pick up a jacket and a shirt and a tie, and I'll never forget it. Just really brings tears to my eyes now when I think about this guy, who had just gotten out of jail. And he, I know exactly where he sits. He sits right in front of my husband, and what we call the Legion of Walnuts over on the side. <laughs> they're all so old; they're ready to crack. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> he sits right in front of him and he said, "Do I look good? Do I look okay?" I said, "You look great." You know, he still looks like a jailbird, but he's got on a suit and tie, you know? I mean, he's he's getting there. We dress appropriately for the meeting. There are different customs for different meetings. Do as they do unless you know that there's a better way. I don't insist that the people I sponsor do it, but I do it myself. I try to be a visual example, and that's true for all of us. It's true for any of us. I have a bad cold, and I don't feel all that good. So feel sorry for me. (laughs) No, that's stupid. (laughs) I could feel sorry for myself, and later on I will. (laughs) Not right now. Don't curse. Oh, that's so hard for me. You know, I really like to ha- use inflammatory language as, oh, just to wake everybody up, you know, or whatever. I just, it just comes out of my mouth sometimes, but I'm trying very, very hard not to do it. I think I've been fairly successful this year. And I'm not talking about the really bad ones, but, you know, something. Anyway, <laughs> be a verbal example. Now, these are the people in a group who are following these particular traditions. Be a verbal example. If I have to be very careful, cautious with this one. I like, oh yeah, I like to drop a little something in for emphasis. My dad always said that swearing was for conversational cripples. I hate to hear ugly words coming out of the mouths of really pretty girls. And I think that's another reason for, you know, when you're in a group that has that <laughs> ethic, that tradition, um, it's good to follow. It just, it's not going to hurt you. You can go back out and pick up all the filthy words you want after you go somewhere else. But when you're in the meeting, respect what that meeting stands for. I always have a job at the meeting. It's an unofficial job or an official job. And I am, at the moment, I'm cleaning up the women's bathroom. Nobody knows, well, now they do, but (laughs) nobody knows that I'm cleaning up the bathroom. But women, uh, we we dry our hands, which, which reminds me of something. Why is it we have to sit down? I know why but it's really annoying you know because the men are going in and out of there like Jack Buzzsaw here here we are still standing around I've always resented that Um, so I have the unofficial job right now of picking up paper towels off the floor, because women pull out, not everybody, but they pull out paper towels, wash their hands, pull out paper towels, from my, and this sort of fling it at, at the trash. And most of the time, those things are in the wall. See, I've made a study of this. <laughs> in the wall, so it bounces off the wall and lands on the floor. So I go in after the meeting and pick up all the towels that are on the floor and put them back in. It It comes along, it's the same thing as leaving the place better than you found it. Because our good name as AA members, our good name as an organization, might rest upon the fact that we keep it cleaner than when we went in there. And a successful group, a person that a successful group of AA is doing those sorts of things. They are respecting their neighbors. We've had, <laughs> this past three weeks, I think, we've had two seizures and one fall. So we've had the rescue squad there three times. <laughs> but nobody ever know because they, the, the driver who was driving the thing says, shh, this is AA. You know? <laughs> so they came in the back door and carted this person off. And <laughs> Maybe he is too, I don't know. <laughs> okay, when I am here, I must I should be in the room. When a successful group encourages people to listen, not talk. You've got one of these or two of these. You gotta listen. Be in the room. I do not talk while the readings are read. Well, that's hard for me, too. But I, I I do, by and large, it goes on around me. But, you know, that's my business to take care of. <laughs> or when the speaker is speaking, I have to be constantly on guard. I am a chatty, Kathy kind of person, and I am. New people especially need to hear what's being said or read. I, oh, here's one. A successful group has a good treasury. The successful group will have a little money in the bank. And one of the reasons for that is I have seen, I know this one girl has an extraordinarily good job, just a really good job, and she puts a dollar, in the basket. Now I'm already up to two and my husband's up to five. I think he puts five in today. But that our meeting really depends upon that. That's all the funds this is the fundraising that we do is just in the meeting. And so I all even if it's a few pennies, if I don't have anything in my purse, I will borrow something from somebody to put it in the basket. Because I think it's important that we be self-supporting, as Tradition Seven talks about, is to be self-supporting. When I got sober, we were putting twenty-five cents in the basket, and I know because Dick and I had we were the we took in the money for a group on Monday night, and we were the treasurer, and it was heavy. You know, because there was 100, 150 people in Washington, D.C., and all we had was quarters, pretty much. So I'm kind of glad we've gone to people money. But it's still, but I'm, we're not the treasurer, actually, no biz, no Belinda. Um, but I'm glad that, but that takes place. The importance of putting the money and being responsible uh, for your group and for your meeting uh, by putting the money in the hat, For everything else that we do, is important in a successful group, one that adheres to the traditions, will do that. They will make sure that everybody knows that. I try to stay in my seat. Oh, man. When I was new, I liked to get up and show everybody my new dress. (laughs) Or whatever it was. And, you know, I liked to sort of twitch in front of the stage. You know what twitching is about. I saw some twitching going on a few minutes ago, so... <laughs> it's eternal. But when they go across this, this... And my my sponsor said to me, if you have to go to the bathroom, go before the meeting and sit down during the meeting. And that that way we don't have what I call a nervous meeting. You know, because there are people in some meetings that are having a meeting in the back. Oh, I was at a meeting. It was probably the worst meeting I've ever been to in my life. It was at a place called the Strawberry Patch in California. And there was a guy who had a girl sitting on his lap in the back corner. And all they were doing through the whole meeting was making out. And I was, because I was jealous, because I was up in front, and I was talking, <laughs> and they were making out, and nobody else around, I mean, they were, everybody was paying attention to what they were doing, and not paying attention to the meeting, and I, that just, you know, I think we need to have a singleness of purpose in that, let's have a singleness of purpose in a meeting, and that is to help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety, and we need to direct our, I mean, who cares whether you, you know, take it outside, that's what I I told him after the meeting was over, I said, you know what, the next time you might consider taking that outside get a room, get a room. yeah, whoever that was, get a room, you're right get a room <laughs> <laughs> it's good <laughs> When I go out of town, some places, this is what members of our group do. When I go out of town, I go to a meeting. I don't care where it is, if I'm in a strange place, I've gone to some strange meetings. But I make it a point when I'm on vacation or something to go to a meeting because that is my, that is my habit. That is my tradition. And I go to four or five meetings a week. I have for years and years. Except that Janet can tell you better than I can because I fell off a platform and as a result of a bunch of I was broken all on this side but I had to have shoulder surgery and after the shoulder surgery the clot clot came loose and hit the back of my brain and I was in a coma for a month and this was like two years ago something like that and they didn't think I was going to make it and they thought if I did wake up that I'd be like an idiot, you know, and not be able to. <laughs> well, maybe I am an idiot, but not that kind of idiot. <laughs> anyway, they didn't think that I would, you know, they didn't know what. But I'd meet, you know, they they were not allowed to bring people into this, this facility because we scared the Alzheimer's people, you know, and they did come in. And that's where they had me, who said the Alzheimer's shoot up because they didn't know what else to do with me. You know, because when I was awake, I wasn't making any sense. And here's what's interesting. I had been wanting. I've been on the Cornhusker Roundup forever and 30 some years. And Clancy was coming to talk. And I wanted to hear him so badly. And I had been unable to. I was not going to be able to go because I was in with the with the Alzheimer's people, and I wasn't out yet, you know. I, I knew I was getting there, but I didn't share that with them because <laughs> I tried to escape one time. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God, they didn't know what to do with me. I went out the front door. I said, I'm hungry. I said, we've got stuff in here. You know, they herded me back in. It was embarrassing. grown <laughs> woman. Anyway, um... <laughs> So it was Cornhusker time, and Clancy was coming. And he said to Dick, "I would like to go see Peggy." And Dick was a little nervous about it because he didn't know what kind of shape I was going to be in, you know, for to have visitors, so to speak. And he walked in, and I remember him being there, and we visited, and. He said, I thought you would be some drooling old woman standing here, and you look just the same. (laughs) Wow. Well, and three days later, I was out of there. And that was just, that is not possible. But I think that a lot of that is just the amalgam that we have of discipline and meetings and God and doing the things that we know we're supposed to do when we're supposed to do it. And I have been doing that, even though I was in literally another world. I call it, I said I was on vacation from all the pigeons and stuff. But really, I was not so. And I was just, there was a different part of my brain was functioning, I suppose. But whatever it was, I got the same old brain back. And so, you know, today it's fine. There have been no residuals, and <laughs> I could tell maybe a little bit, but uh, not much. But I really believe when he walked into the room, and he was somebody who was important to me because my sponsor, 40 years, had died. And I had looked around the country and could not find a woman who was sober longer than I was, who was still active in AA. Now, there are lots of nice, good women, and they're cookie-baking, grass-mowing people. I'm not a cookie-baker, and I'm not a grass-mower. I'm just, I'm an AA member, and I'm a worker, um, and I and I do stuff like that, but I'm they hide... At home, somewhere, and I don't you know I don't never have have done that when Jim was little, our son Jim we took him to a meetings, and there was a crib in the corner room. You know we-we found ways to do that, and I'm imploring, and I know because my kids have had kids, and I know what it was like for them, and they traded off meetings, and you can make it work. If it's your, if it's, this is your life, you can make it work. And that's what is encouraged in these successful groups, is that you can make it the primary purpose. You can make it work. And that's what, that's exactly what I, what I did. But I was, but I already knew that when all of this happened. So I didn't have to (coughs) learn that. The other thing is, if goal as a group to conferences and stuff like that because it gives you an idea of the global aspects of AA. It's it opens it all up um, because when I I know that when I got sober I got sober in Washington D.C. and that was the, was the you know it was the height of everything. Wilbur Mills was getting sober. We made a twelve step call on him. You know, Hughes was introducing the bill on alcoholism. It was just the, you know, the cat's pajamas there. It was just all stirred up, like they're not doing now, I might add. They're not passing nothing. Um, But they were. They were doing that. And it was a hotbed. And it was a good place for me to get sober, because I worked for the space administration. So I got to answer that astronaut's fan mail, which I think is just it's a great, great job for me. <laughs> anyway, so that's that. And then um, after the meeting, stick around and greet people. Go up to somebody you don't know, might have come in during the meeting. That way, you know, you're, uh, first of all, you're really showing them that you want them to be there. And the second thing is, if they don't, if they might be new, you never know. I mean, in my day, when people came in, you knew they were new. I mean, they looked new. They looked like dogs on a freeway. You know, they were (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so happy to be here, you know. (laughs) Really bad. (laughs) <laughs> but today it's hard to tell, so they might even be new. They might be brand new. So we need to greet everybody. Try to go around and greet everybody. Because, for example, Foxhall and uh, the Pacific Group, I have been honored to speak out there. Um, you, there's a lot of people there, and you're supposed to go through the line and thank the speaker. So not just for the speaker, but for you. And it's important that we show that respect, respect to the group and respect to the speaker and, and to the other people in the group. It really, it's really the right thing to do. If I miss a regular meeting, I make it up. Oh, what a concept. You know, somebody say, well, I'm not going Thursday or I'm not going Friday because something. I say, "Oh, good! Saturday night meeting is having a good speaker on Saturday night. It's me, no, <laughs> no, but I make it up. I go to another meeting, and I I enjoy that because then I get to check up on them and see if they're doing anything wrong or, <laughs> or whatever. I call I go, uh, I call my sponsor once a week, and I did call him Thursday." Uh, I got Clancy after I couldn't find the woman, and uh, he's made a very good, deliberate sponsor for me. You know, I know that if I need to get a direct answer to something, he'll give me a direct answer. And I've been out to the mission, and, uh, you know, I just, he, you know, I'm 77, Dick is 83, Clancy is 87, and I don't know how old the Noy is. I won't ask her. Uh Well, I don't know. Oh, 74. You know what? In 10 years, we might be gone. I mean, it, it happens, you know, we do die. And we need people to be here to... To people, these successful and disciplined groups, and if they—if you don't pick up the—if you don't pick up the flag, who's going to? It somebody in here or in other rooms like this has got to pick up the flag and wave it around. You know, be a firebrand. Even if, if they talk about you bad, good—that's a compliment. That is a compliment if possible, we take our sponsors to dinner on our anniversary. I guess I owe you one, (laughs) then. Now, we go, uh, the group goes on AA moves. Oh, and have you ever been on an AA move? Oh, it is like a fire drill. I mean, (laughs) you go, you have maps, and you have, right after the Sunday morning meeting, they give out a map, and everyone... (laughs) goes like a bunch of termites to this, to the house that is being abandoned. And within, I think in our house, we had a 4,200 square foot house, and it was empty in 13 minutes. That's how they got it out of there, and for nothing, for free. So. It's great because you get to see their underwear and everything. <laughs> you get to see what kind of furniture, what kind of dusting they do and everything. It's really hysterical. <laughs> That's why I go on A-lose. It's not spiritual. It's curian interest, I guess. <laughs> Take time to go to people's anniversary celebrations. We have celebrations of five, ten. 15 years, so forth, after, usually on Friday night. And we take time, a little bit of time to do that, because someday, somewhere, sometime, your presence might be just the thing that they remember. You go, well, at least they came to my anniversary. There is a level of support that really, it really makes a big difference. It's made a big difference to me. Take a road trip once in a while. Get a bunch of crazies together in a car with the new man on the hump. I don't know if there are humps anymore in the back. or there humps in cars anymore? I don't know. But you got the driver and the fairly new, fairly older guy, then sort of middle of the road, new guy in the middle of the road. And you can solve his problems all the way to AIDS, <laughs> and all the way back. And then you can forget your problems because you're helping him, with his, and he's terrible. I mean, <laughs> he is in bad shape. His wife is going to leave. I can't live without her and the next thing you hear is, I'm going to kill her, you know, say so <laughs> Le- don't leave, but let me shoot you, you know, it's, you know, it's new, they're new people, you know, and so when you get out of that car, you don't have any problems, <laughs> you got his problems, so it's great to take a road trip, turn off his cell phones. I remember the first time I heard a cell phone go off in a meeting. Clancy was there when I was present, anyway. Clancy was there, and he said, "Oh, someone has a cell phone." Like that was the only thing, one in the whole world who had a cell phone. But it's an, it's annoying, and it's you could mistake it. You know, you can have it on. Uh, full blast and not remember but most of the time it's I always try to check before I sit down or go up to speak or whatever to turn it off we use our last names and sobriety dates half from the first time I got sober when I was first sober (laughs) Um, and the reason for that was that we got sober in, in the nation's capital and there were uh, well, I mean, there—you no, couldn't look me up in a phone book, so we—that's what they told us. Use your first and last name; you'll be fine. You know, it's not going to hurt you. Never has, never has. And people have actually gotten a hold of me through that from all kinds of places in the world. You know, something that I would have never expected. And so there's an there's a trust. And an intimacy that develops in these structured groups. And there's a there's a reliance on each other that develops in these groups. And that's what I always, I've always wanted a safe, well-lighted place. And you can gradually build one of those around you in that kind of group. Now I don't know if it's successful in other groups. I just know that if there isn't anybody at the door, it doesn't start off on the right foot. Because even though I'm 51 years sober, I'm still an alcoholic. And I still suffer at times from bouts of low self-esteem. You know, I I got an ankle that looks like a U in the plumbing thing. It was like crooked, very crooked. And I can think about that and think about and think about it. But you know, I you don't care. You just want to hear the story behind it. You know, it's okay. And so you know, I really I want to be part of you. I want to be there for you, any of you. Not all at once, but any (laughs) of you that might and I, and you might be able to help me. I mean, there's always going to be somebody who help me. We sing happy birthday to people when they get their chips. Like we did today when we got the cupcakes. And thank you, whoever got the cupcakes, I don't know. But I thank you because you didn't get me chocolate. And I'm really glad that I don't like chocolate. Um, If you are sober ten years or more we stand up. I don't know why. I know why, because a newcomer in our group who'd been sober like two weeks was so overwhelmed with the awesomeness of the fact that this guy had five years of sobriety that she shot to her feet. And you know, we're all like lemmings and we all jumped to our feet too. (laughs) And we've done it ever since, you know. Thank you, Susie. Um, so, and it, but it's good. It's, it's just kind of another thing of the group, another thing of the group, that's all. Um, and, okay. See, I told you. It's not so bad. All right. There's a, this is something that I found. I don't really know where I got it from, because I've got little bits of pieces of stuff all around. But this is a this is a, a thing that I would use as an it's called an apologia for my life, and it's by Sam Shoemaker from uh, the Oxford Movement, and he wrote this. and I think it is this is I'm going to end with this because I think this is the ultimate. Um, purpose for this well-organized and disciplined group. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. There is no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside. And they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched, groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door. Yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing that any man can do is to take hold of one of these blind groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that clicks and opens to the man's touch. Men die outside that door, or starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter, die for what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. Go in, great saints. Go all the way in. Go way down into the cavernous cellars and way up into the special attics. It is a vast and roomy house, this house where God is. Go into the deepest of hidden easements, of withdrawal, of signs, of sainthood. Some must inhabit these inner rooms and know the depths and heights of God and call outside to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in Sometimes I venture in a little further, but my place seems closer to the opening, so I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was. It's a real admonition for us. I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help. The people who have not yet found the door, or the people who want to run away again from God and from AA. You can go in too deeply and stay too long and forget (laughs) the people outside. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to God to hear him and know he is there, but not so far from men as not to hear them and remember that they are there. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them. Millions of them. But more important for me, one of them, or two of them, ten of them, whose hands I am intended to put on the latch. So I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I'd rather be a doorkeeper, so I stand by the door. And I thank you.